Thank you, team. <laughs> it's wonderful to serve the Lord wherever He leads us, but I tell you, it is great to be home. <laughs> and I am truly indebted to Jonathan. He fitted just right in. The other great thing about preaching the same series of messages on 9 and 10.30 is that he just, without a, a, even a, a heartbeat, he just was ready for the messages. And I'm so grateful to him. Back in the summer of 1985, our son Joshua was almost seven years old. We were traveling in London, England at that time because I was speaking at a symposium. One day, our host decided we had a day break to take us on a sightseeing trip, particularly our family. And so he took us to East London, and he dropped us off while he was going to look for a parking space for his car. Due to my negligence, I want to emphasize this, due to my negligence, Joshua got lost in the crowds. Now, let me tell you by way of explanation. Some of you might have been there, but, but I can tell you the feeling that you feel at that moment cannot be explained in words. You, you just cannot explain it. I mean, your mouth is so dry up, <laughs> as if it's filled with sand. Your knees are shaking like jelly, and your heart is pounding like a machine that's ready to explode. And you're running around like a madman saying, have you seen a seven-year-old boy? Have you seen a seven-year-old boy? It was one of the most devastating experiences, to say the least, especially when I realized that it was my responsibility. All along, I'm condemning myself, and I'm beating myself up and thinking, if I just held onto his hand, if I just grabbed onto him, if I just didn't get distracted, if I just kept my eye on him all the while frantically searching every pub, every alley, praying like you have never prayed before. Thankfully, we found him. I don't want to prolong this, but obviously, obviously we found him. <laughs> but those 12 to 15 minutes felt like an eternity. But from that day, back in 1985, to this day, I could never read the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, without reliving at least part of that experience. In the last message, Jonathan showed us how our God is the God who pursues us. As you looked at the parable of the lost sheep, he showed us how the good shepherd demonstrates his commitment uh, to searching for that lost sheep until he finds the lost sheep. And when he 
finds the lost sheep, he carries him on his shoulders, basically two legs on this side, two legs on this side, and he carries him on the shoulders and brings him home. Why the shoulders? I'm told it's the strongest part of the human body. At that moment, there is great rejoicing in heaven. Now, beloved, I think it goes without saying, we all know that every one of us, every one of us were lost. Every one of us born lost. Every one of us deliberately lost and wandered away at some point. Every one of us foolishly lost. We're lost. In fact, there may be someone in this room here today or watching around the world who may be lost now, and they know that God is reaching out to you. He's speaking to you through a friend. He's speaking through to family members. He's speaking to you somehow, and you all know you're lost, and He is waiting for you to come. Please understand, the Good Shepherd Jesus is looking for you. The Good Shepherd Jesus is waiting for you. The Good Shepherd Jesus is ready to place you on His shoulders. Now, Luke 15, as Jonathan mentioned, these two parables or illustrations followed by a true story, which we call the parodical son. It is so important even that just true story is going to take us three different messages that we'll be expounding on that. As Jonathan explained in the last message, the Pharisees were so self-righteous, they were so self-centered, they cared for no one else, cared for nothing else. Their daily prayer is like the boy who prayed, bless mom and dad, me and brother Sam, us four no more. Amen. They were like so many professing Christians today who say, yes, Christianity is for us, but Buddhism for the Buddhists, Hinduism for the Hindus, Islam is for the Muslims. Uh, they are the very people who are working over time to change the First Amendment in the Constitution of the United States. They are the very people who do not want us to have the freedom to witness, to evangelize, and to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. They are like so many denominations today to whom ceremony is far more important than the infallible Word of God. They have perverted the concept of love to mean that they can live any which way they want to, and God is okay with that. Now, beloved, listen to me. That is the Pharisees of our day. That is not love. That is wanting to be accepted by this fallen world. This wanting to be liked by this sinful world. Uh, they do not truly have love for the lost. For if they have love for the lost, they will tell the truth, they will speak the truth, and they'll proclaim the truth. They have love for self and a desire to be accepted by this secular society. By using these two parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin, Jesus is saying to them and to us today that God is not like these self-centered, self-righteous Pharisees. Far from it. 
that God longs for sinners to repent of their sins, that God is searching for the lost sheep, that God is persistent in His compassion toward the lost, that God's salvation is not only for certain ethnic group. In fact, the Greek word in the New Testament, ta ethna, meaning every ethnic group, every nation, every tribe, the whole world belongs to Jesus. The whole world must repent and believe in Jesus. God has His arms wide open to whomsoever comes. Now today we're going to look closely at the second parable. And Jonathan looked at the first one. Now, this is only three verses. Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 15, verses 8 to 10. Luke 15, 8 to 10. The Pew Bible, page 1623, 1623 in the Pew Bible. Grab it, follow it with me, please. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found the lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus open our spiritual eyes. For, Lord, without spiritual eyes, we will not be able to see and understand these truths from Your Word. So, I ask You, in the name of Jesus, believing that You promise to hear and answer the prayers of Your children. In Jesus' name, amen. My beloved, here in this parable of the lost coin, the search gets closer to home. It gets closer to home. The coin was not lost in the wilderness. The coin was not lost in the desert. The coin was not lost in the far country. It was lost in the house. And the coin, because it is lost in the house, there is a different environment than searching for the lost sheep. I'm going to explain that to you from my knowledge of history and from my first-hand experience of the Middle East. I want to explain to you this parable because you will not understand it without that background. It's very important. In the times of Jesus, women wore a frontlet on the brow, on their brow, called semedi. This is the closest that I can get my hand on to show you what it looks like. Now, we picked this up in the Middle East two weeks ago. I'm not going to tell you what store we picked it up, and I'm going to tell you which way my colleague went and got it. <laughs> but I wanted to illustrate for you. Put that camera there on the screen, please, so the people at home and everywhere else can see what I'm talking about. Now, there are ten coins in that semedi, in that frontlet that they wore. Ten coins. 
I guess this is where Hollywood, Hollywood got their perfect 10 from. Now, these coins could be made of gold coins, silver coins, or just plain co coins, depending on the wealth of the husband-to-be and his ability to give this to his fiancée. Now, you're getting closer to understanding why she panicked when one of these was missing, when one of these was lost, especially if her fiancé, who gave her this, is about to come to, for dinner. <laughs> um, it would be like a man who gives… This is the engagement. This is the engagement ring of our day, as if a man gives a woman a diamond ring for, to be engaged to his bride-to-be. And um, that diamond ring she's wearing, and he's about to come to dinner, and she discovered that diamond is missing. Think about that. Or even worse, the whole ring is missing and got lost. <laughs> Imagine with me, please, the panic when that happens. Imagine the anguish. Imagine the, the, the consternation. He's going to be here in 30 minutes, and I don't have my ring. I can't find my ring. She frantically searches the entire house. Uh, she turns the house upside down. She might even look in the kitchen sink, because that's actually where most rings are lost. <laughs> I mean, she is frantic. Why? Because to have a perfect ten coins on her brow represented her love for her husband-to-be. It represented her engagement to her beloved. It represented her fellowship with her husband-to-be. It represented her bond with that husband-to-be. It represented her affection for each other. And that is why her loss was traumatic. It's traumatic. The feeling of panic is insist in the words of Jesus. There is a feeling of guilt, perhaps. There is a feeling of remorse, of being careless. But there's more. <laughs> Actually, there's a whole lot more, more than you will ever want to know. But this is the only way you can understand the urgency of this parable. The average home back then those of you who may have gone and saw some historic houses like in, in Nazareth, for example, under that big monstrosity of a church that has been built underneath is in, in Nazareth, is the house where Jesus grew up, where Mary uh, lived. And when you go in there and you look at this and you say, this is a tiny little house. It's so small. You literally stretch your arm and you cover it. The houses were very, very small and they were very dark. There are no windows to speak of. Uh, the floor is a dirt floor, and, and there were so many corners and so many cracks in which the coin could sneak into and f easily fall into. Further, therefore, a lamp, a lamp must be lit even at the noon hour. It doesn't matter because it's so dark, and the sweeping must take place. The sifting of the dirt and the dust is a must. The straw uh, and looking through it is a necessity. 
going over the same area again and again and again and not giving up in the search is very important. This makes that proverbial needle in the haystack to me much easier to find. But do you know what motivates her? To keep on looking. To keep on looking and never give up. Do you know what motivates her to never give up the search? Do you know? Some of you probably picked it up. You know? Because the coin was lost in the house. Had she lost it in the river, she would have given up. Had she lost it in the desert or in the streets, she would not have persevered. Had she lost it in the fields, it would have been easily giving up about it. But the reason she persisted is because she knows that she lost it in the house. Given my knowledge of the culture and the history, I can tell you most likely, I'm not straining the text at all, most likely, as she was searching diligently, most likely she was condemning herself. How stupid of me to lose this. Uh, had I been careful, this would not have happened. What will I say to him? What will he say to me? Beloved, I'm going to stop preaching just for a minute, only for a few seconds, okay? I'm start meddling. <laughs> Whenever I meddle, it's only for a short period of time because I don't want to make you uncomfortable for the rest of the day. <laughs> just, just for a few seconds, okay? Are you with me? I have no problem with the true guilt of a sinner that will lead him or her to Christ and to salvation. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good guilt. It's very biblical. But for the believer, false guilt is devastating. Can I get an amen? False guilt is not of God. Believers, when we are convicted of sin, we need to repent immediately and move on, confess, and move forward. Just think about this for, for this woman. Think about her, okay? There is no effort that's too much. There is no search that is too difficult. There is no obstacle that is too great. There is no difficulty that is too insurmountable. One of the things that struck me this week as I'm looking into this afresh with fresh eyes, listen to me, one of the things that really struck me hard in the times we live in today, there are so many preachers who are too careless with the Word of God. There are so many preachers who are too careless with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are so many Christians who follow them because they preach self-serving message. And that is why there are so many people today who are lost in the pews. There are so many people who are lost in the churches. There are so many people who are lost in God's house because of the carelessness of some of us who are in the pulpits. 
And that is why you and I must spare no effort, regardless of the cost, in searching for those who are lost in our house, in God's house, no matter how long it takes. But there's something else I want to say to you. I don't want you to miss. I I really, God knows, and I know some of you know, I really try, try to be sensitive. It's not always my strong suit, but I try. I really, I really try. And I am trying right now about what I'm about to say. Please listen carefully. Listen to my heart. Remember again, this woman lost her coin in the house. So I want to ask you, between you and God, wherever you may be, what have you lost in your house? Have you lost your love for your spouse in your house? Have you lost the peace of mind in your house? Have you lost your joy in your house? Have you lost your respect of your family in your house? Have you lost intimacy with God in your house? Have you lost your family altar in your house? It is time to rise up and rebuild family altars in this country. What we have lost in your house, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever you've lost in your house today, that can be changed today. It can be changed today. I tell you on the authority of the Word of God, that can be changed today. You need to get up and light the candle of the Word of God. Get up and sweep your heart clean. Get up and examine your heart. Get up, find out where you have lost your first love for Jesus. Find out what has caused you loss of your love for your spouse. What sin has entered in and stayed in? What has caused the loss of love for your family? What has caused you the loss of your love for the family of God in the church of Jesus Christ. Search diligently. I plead with you, search diligently. Search your attitude and your motives. Search your misplaced priorities. Search your misplaced focus and find out the root cause for your feeling of being victimized. The root cause my challenge to every one of us today, that you need to shine the light of the Word of God, the light of the Word of God, into your inner being. Let the searchlight of God go in. Uh, Sweep clean the cobwebs of self-centeredness. Sweep clean the dust of self-pity. Sweep clean the straw of bitterness and anger and envy and unforgiveness. Sweep clean the dust uh, of diminished loyalty. Sweep clean all of the junk of unfaithfulness to the Lord 
in every area of your life. And I am appealing to you as your brother in Christ, not as your pastor. I'm appealing to you as your brother in Christ who is in the same journey with you. Do not rest until you find that which you have lost in your house. Make that phone call that you've been putting off. Make that painful visit yet have been dreading. Uh, If you need to confess, confess. If you need to forgive, forgive. If you need to ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. Do whatever it takes to find the joy of Christ. Do whatever it takes to find that lost passion for witnessing for Jesus Christ. Do whatever it takes to find that lost first love for Jesus. Do whatever it takes to find that lost desire to share Christ with others. Do whatever it takes to find that lost person in your home or in your church. In the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus is telling us how individualize his search is. Can you say individualize with me? Can you say it again? It's an individualized search. And in the parable of the lost coin, he's telling us how personalized the love of Christ is. Can I get an amen? Now, beloved, listen to me. Listen to me. (laughs) I am absolutely convinced that our Lord wants every one of us to know I tell you that from the Word of God, not from my head. (laughs) I believe with all my heart the Lord wants every one of us today to know that you are not just a name and a face in the crowd. As far as God is concerned, you're not just a name and you're not just a face. No, and a million knows. He carries you individually on His shoulders as if you were the only person on the face of the earth. He focuses on you as if you were the only person in the whole universe. And that is why He's the almighty God. He's the all-powerful God. He's the all-knowing God. He is the all-seeing God. He's the all-knowing God. He's the all-loving God. Amen. God's love for you, listen to me, God's love for you is not just in words. No. God's love for you is not a theory. It's not theoretical. God's love for you is not just an emotional feelings that He feels good about you when you do the right thing, and then He can really can't stand you when you do the, th- the wrong thing or you blow it. No, 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 that is not God. That's us. God loves you, and His love for you and me is action. His love for us is constant. His love for us is sacrificial. It cost Him everything. I want to tell you this as I come toward the end and conclude. I want you to contrast the self-giving, self-sacrificing love of Jesus in the speaking in both of these two parables, with a story that grabbed the entire headline news. Now, some of you are young enough, you want to remember 1991. Some of you can. I'm looking at you. 
this. In 1991, this particular news grabbed the headlines. Every television and every radio, every newspaper, it grabbed all of the headline news. But just in case you have forgotten, for those of you old enough to be alive in 1991, it was about a Greek cruise liner off the the coast of West Africa. The 492-foot ship carried 217 passengers and 184 crew members. The evening reverie had just begun when the ship encountered a gale-force wind. And the ship began to take water. They lost power soon after that. So it was drifting in the dark in the middle of the storm. The sound of the passengers screaming became mixed with the sound of the howling wind and the cracking of the doomed vessel. But what is really incredible about the story, more than that, most incredible about this incident is that in the middle of this danger, in the middle of them perishing, uh, most of the crew, including the captain, they went in the different lifeboats and took off and left the ship to sink. Only one, just one crew member refused to leave. He stayed behind. They called him a hero. He's the one who remained on board and signaled the SOS alarm that made it possible for all the passengers to be saved. Beloved, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. I find myself deeply challenged by these parables of of our Lord. See, Jesus does not only individually search for every one of His children— I was just sharing with our leaders before the service. The most incredible thing is that here we are in the West, renowned preachers turning their back on the gospel, turning their back on the Christian faith, while in the Middle East, thousands of people coming to Christ at the risk of their own lives. Can it be that God is gathering His remnant from every corner of the globe because He's getting ready to come back? I pray so. I pray so. You see, not only His search is individualized, individualized, but it's personalized. It's personalized. Beloved, listen to me. You and I just cannot, cannot, cannot live for ourselves. You and I cannot, cannot turn a blind eye toward those who are lost, especially those in our house and those who are in the house of God. You and I cannot, cannot, cannot just use some soothing words to describe the lost out of fear that we may be rejected. Please, 
I would rather offend them initially and have them bless me in heaven for all of eternity than like me now and then curse me in hell for all of eternity. What we individually and collectively need to do is to light the candle. Light the candle. Beloved, that's why this church, 34 years will be next Sunday. For 34 years, we have held tenaciously onto the Word of God, the infallible, inspired Word of God. It's our only light. It's our only light. Our lamp then lovingly and diligently go on searching, whether in the wilderness or under our noses. One last thing I don't want you to miss in these two parables. Some of you already got this. I know that. The one thing in common in these two parables. When the sheep is found, when the lost sheep is found, I'm going to ask the musicians, start coming up. Start coming up. When the lost sheep was found, there was rejoicing in heaven. When the lost coin was found, there was rejoicing in heaven. That's the common thing between those two. Some of you may have lost your joy, and you're asking yourself, could the reason be, and I'm just, look, I'm speculating, it's between you and God. This really has nothing to do with me. Could the reason be that you have placed your self-fulfillment ahead of your desire to see the lost be found? Could it be? Just could it be? Could it be that you have placed your personal ambitions above love for the lost? I pray that today God will rekindle your passion and my passion for the lost so that our joy may be found again. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, please. In the last few seconds as I was preaching to you, Holy Spirit has asked me to give you an invitation. If you want to reestablish, rekindle your passion for the lost, rekindle your love, your first love for Christ, come out of your seat and come down here right up the front. It's your decision. It's between you and God, whatever it is, whatever reason you're coming down for. Will you do that as our musicians start leading us? Don't, don't, don't take too much time. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you, just get out of your seat, move out quickly, come up in the front so I can pray with you. Will you do that? Go ahead, Seth. Thank you, Seth.